Well, please turn, if you would, in your copy of God's Holy Word to Matthew, Matthew 21, on this happy occasion of uh, three uh, children being baptized and also public covenanting as our sister takes up the membership covenant. Our attention in the preaching of the Word will be on the praise of the children of the church. And we're going to turn to the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem to observe it. Now, this is a rich text, as you well know. It includes uh, matters such as the cleansing of the temple. But uh, we will be focusing primarily on the praises of Christ, especially out of the children. So Matthew 21, we'll read verses 1 through 17. Our focus is on verse 16, however. Please give your attention once again to the reading of the holy, inspired, and infallible word of God. Let us receive them as such. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over and against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them. And straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went, and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings or infants? Thou hast perfected praise. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word thus far. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, what a glorious picture of Jesus Christ is here in the scripture, in the word of God. We have had the word read, but now we seek you, Father. We humbly seek you for blessings on the preaching of God's holy word. We pray for the minister who preaches, that he would preach faithfully, that he would preach up Christ, that Christ may increase, that the man who preaches would decrease, that all we would see and hear is Jesus Christ our Lord. Put away, Father, any thoughts that this man has that are contrary to the Scripture. Instead, give us all the counsel of God in the preaching of the Word. O Father, we pray that you would give us the Spirit to this end, that the Spirit of God would be on the preacher, but also on all that would hear the Word of God that is preached. Father, these people have come saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Oh, would you open the scriptures, Father, through the preached word, that they would truly see Jesus through the word of God, and that we would all with one voice seek to praise and adore our Savior who has given us salvation. And so, Father, to these ends, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, our society has a very low view of children. They are unwanted. They are unvalued. They are treated often as a nuisance. Our society even scares us into believing they are too expensive to raise. They are impediments to our fun and joy, is what the society around us says. 
I remember even that when I was young in public school. We would get that message all the time. Think of how expensive it is to raise a child, we were told over and over again. And in much of our country, you can even legally murder them up to nine months of age in the womb. The governor of California even twists the sacred sacred scripture. And as Satan cites, love thy neighbor as thyself while promoting infanticide and billboards all across the nation. This is what our society thinks of children. But sad to say, this view of children has even permeated and pervaded the churches of God. In many churches, if you bring your children into the worship service, you will be asked to take them to the children's ministry instead, saying that the praises of God are for the adults only. But in our text, Jesus is against such men because he loves the praises of children. He loves their praises. He loves their hosannas. He says God has ordained that praise come out of children and even infants, that they must add their praises to the sound of the congregation. And as we baptize three children today, we are called in that to recognize that the children are part of Christ's church. What does 1 Corinthians 7.14 remind us? That the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. They are holy unto the Lord, and they are to praise God. These three children being baptized must participate in the worship of God and cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ with their own praises. They must sing as we do. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord just as the adults do. That is their calling. And their parents who come forward to present them for baptism, they are to raise them from the earliest ages, even now, to do that, because Christ expects it. Boys and girls, for you here, take note of this text. Do you not see that Jesus Christ expects you to praise him, even loudly? To the point where, and this is so glorious here, isn't it? Because this is also an apprehension of the psalm that we saw in our call to worship. To the point that his enemies take note of you. That his own enemies take note of you and are displeased by your praises. Just as the priests and scribes were. But never forget that Jesus is pleased with your praise. And he has ordained you to praise him. And he will richly bless you. And he will richly defend you as he defended these children in the text. So our theme without introduction is this, the perfected praise of Christian children. The perfected praise of Christian children. We'll see that in three heads on your bulletin. The first is the praise of the king. The second is the praise of the children. And third is the praise of the home. First, the praise of the king. In this heading, what we must understand is that our king, the Lord Jesus Christ, is worthy of praise. And we must know why. He is worthy of such praise. To know why our praises, why our hosannas must ring out to him. And why we must also, parents, exhort our children to praise him every day of their life. Because he is worthy. Worthy is the lamb of this praise. So when Jesus enters Jerusalem and is praised, will you note the question that rang about the city in verse 10? All the city was moved saying, Who is this? Who is this? That's a question we all have need of asking and answering each one of us for ourselves. This is, in fact, the central question for all men. Who is this Jesus? Who is this that commands such praise and glory? Is he a crazy man? Is he some deluded fanatic? Or is he the holy God of heaven come in the flesh to save sinners from his own wrath? The true answer to the question, who is this, causes the believer to not only praise him, but to have their children praise him as well. But it never will happen until you know the answer to who is this. And maybe I'll pause right there. Do you know the answer to the question, who is this Jesus? The world has all kinds of crazy notions as to who Jesus is. But you must know for yourself, who is this Jesus? How did the crowd answer? 
Verse 11. This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Now that is a true answer, but it's only a partial answer. Now a prophet, if you don't know this, boys and girls, a prophet is one who speaks the mind of God so that we might know God and we might know our duty to God. That's what the holy prophets proclaim. And it is true. Jesus is a prophet, but he is more than a prophet. He is more than the holy men of God who spoke the words God gave them. He is more than that both in his office and in his person. Let's begin with his office. In his office as our Redeemer, our Savior, he is entrusted not only to be our prophet, but also our king and also our priest. He has a trifold office, prophet, priest, and king. And every office is necessary for our salvation. In this text, you might know it well because this is a common text that many know, even those who are not Christians. He entered his holy city of Jerusalem as our king, not just our prophet. Zechariah 9.9 prophesied 500 years prior, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass and a colt, the foal of an ass. This is the prophecy of the king being fulfilled in our text. 550 years prior to this, Zechariah, a prophet himself, prophesied that the king would come on the back of a donkey and a colt. And the 24th Psalm asks the question, who is this king of glory? Mighty to defend us and mighty to save us. And the answer is here, our Jesus Christ, who has come to conquer our sinful hearts and to also save us from our enemies, as he did in this text. So that's the king. He's also a prophet, but he's also our high priest. And in that, you even see that in our text here. He cleanses the temple of its pollutions in verses 12 through 13. He cleanses the temple, and he shows himself prophet, priest, and king. More than that, though, the king was entering Jerusalem on this last week of his life, wasn't he? Why? To give his life as a sacrifice, to be nailed to that cross, and to give himself up as a sacrifice for sinners. So who is this in his office? A complete Savior, vested with every office necessary for our salvation. Jesus Christ, prophet, priest, and king. So if that's office, who is this Jesus in his person? He is more than a mere man, more than the old kings, more than the old prophets, more than the old priests. He is the Lord God. He is Jehovah come to us in the flesh. And our text shows his divinity at the very beginning of it when he sent two of his disciples into the village to fetch a donkey and its colt. First of all, he knew they were there and he knew where they were. He shows his omniscience. He knows his, he shows his perfect knowledge. Second, you might note, he gave instructions on what to say to anyone who asked. He said, tell them what? The Lord has need of it. He did not instruct them to say, our master, the prophet, has need of it. He did not say, our Lord has need of it. He told them to say, the Lord, the Lord. In other words, I, Jehovah, have need of it. And you notice he doesn't ask nicely. He says, I have need of it. I have need of it. He was at liberty to take these two animals. And that also acknowledges that he is Lord of all. He is the owner of all. The cattle on a thousand hills are his because he has made them. You know, it's actually, and this is where we have to get our thinking right, it is the human owner of the animals who is the borrower of them, not Jesus Jesus Christ owns them as he owns, mark this well, all of you, all of your possessions. He has granted them graciously to you. He is the owner. Whatever has come to you and me has come out of his bounty and has come out of his goodness. We don't lend things to the Lord. In other words, he is the one who is giving them to us. Now, that doesn't only go to our animals and our other material possessions, but it also reaches into our children, friends. We are stewards of them until they grow up. We raise them, what? In the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They are Christ's children. They're not our children. And the Lord has need of our children. 
As I cited 1 Corinthians 7.14, it is as though holiness unto the Lord is stamped on them as they come into this world. That's why they are baptized, marking them as distinct from the children of the pagans. Holiness unto the Lord. Well, as we continue to see the Lord's ownership and that He is God in the flesh, the Lord shows us that the temple is His as well. Sandwiched in this narrative, doesn't He? In His cleansing of it, He asserted His ownership of it. Again, He doesn't create a committee, right, of presbytery, so to speak, to say, what must we do to go and cleanse the pollutions of the temple? He goes in and He cleanses it Himself. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. His house. The church is His house. Not the house of the elders. It is Christ's house because He is Jehovah. And for in Him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Colossians 2.9 And that, all of that then, as you ponder such things in your heart, even as Mary might have, it makes it more astonishing to behold how the King of glory enters Jerusalem. It was not on a chariot, was it, with mighty war horses, with the King of glory upon it. And that was by his divine choice. He could have certainly done so. We have seen his knowledge and his power. He could have gone to the Roman legions and say, the Lord has need of this chariot. But he chose the donkey and he chose the colt. He came humbly in an estate of humiliation to fulfill that prophecy given to Zechariah again almost 600 years before. Thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. In other words, this was no stunt like a politician might pull today, right? He told us he would come to us in a humble state to be a king who has come to serve us, to ride an animal suited for the man who is called the suffering servant, but is also simultaneously the king of glory. He didn't even put a saddle on it. The disciples set their clothes on its back. And such a lowly animal, you have to think of it this way, Whether he, he, it's likely right, that he, he, he comes into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey and then switches to this, this colt. And you think on that then too. Right? This animal did not elevate Jesus Christ above the crowds. He was not an object of distant adoration and worship. The God that thundered at Sinai, the one that men trembled at, in Jesus Christ is at reach within all who would meet him. Near enough to touch, he comes meek and not haughty. A holy God, the King. But in Jesus Christ as mediator, sinful men and women can approach him. And think of this, sitting on a colt, and how fitting that is for our theme. He was even in view and reach of the children, wasn't he? He was not set up above them, but he was even at the level of so many of the children. Jesus Christ holding himself forth to all. Who is this? They asked in Matthew 11, uh, in Matthew 21 earlier. But what does he say to the question in Matthew 11:28 through 30? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Why? For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find what? Rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who is this? The question is asked again. What did he say to the question? The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, that is to to be served, but to minister or to serve and to what? Give his life a ransom for many. Mark 10.45 Within a week, the King of glory here would be nailed to the cross to bear God's wrath for those who would believe on him. To give his life a ransom for many, to give himself and all that he is, to serve himself for us who deserve God's wrath. What was the inscription written in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew above his cross? This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. What an unmatched king he is, friend.
to willingly go to a cross, to give his life for rebels like us, to die in the believer's place, to take God's wrath that we might have God's blessing. Let us turn the question now around and not ask it from the congregation, but God asking you, God asks you of his son, who is this? Who is this, Jesus? Can you say he is at least this much, as much as we have meditated on? Can you say that? Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior of the world. But you must not only say it. You must not only say that that is true. You must believe it. Otherwise, it is of no use to you. You must believe this. I'll say more on that a bit later. Well, if you knew who he was and who he is, it seems inconceivable that you would not praise him. If you truly knew who he is, it is inconceivable that a man or woman or child would not praise him. Consider the crowd. They cried, even with less knowledge than we have just considered, they cried, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And those words come out of the psalm book, Psalm 118, verse 25. And the word Hosanna, I know it's become a popular word in Christian praise today. That word Hosanna has come into the Greek language, and into English, I suppose, into the Greek language out of Aramaic. And the Aramaic comes out of Hebrew and means this, give now salvation, we pray. That's what the word means. In Christ's time, though, Hosanna has turned into an expression that meant praise. And really, when they say Hosanna in the highest, it's a bit nonsensical, literally, right? And linguistically speaking. And so perhaps it's the case that they had lost what the meaning of Psalm 118 verse 25 was when they cried Hosanna, something we ourselves must never do, right? It means give now salvation, we pray. Give us salvation, O God. What you have to see is that is our great need. That is our greatest need. Give us salvation. But from what? In this, we must all be very clear that we have the right answer because it is unclear that the people at this time thought rightly on the Messiah. His own disciples, you notice this so often, seemed clueless at times about his work and what he had come to do. They often thought, right, they were, he had come to rid them of Rome and usher in a physical kingdom. But our Lord said, my kingdom is not of this world, not an earthly kingdom. And even when the kingdoms of this uh, world, the kingdoms of the nations covenant to Christ, it is the church that ever is the kingdom of God on the earth. And we are not to lose the spirituality of the kingdom. It is not carnal. The problem is our flesh desires a carnal kingdom. But that's not what we need. Boys and girls, you recall Christ's given name, don't you? His name was Jesus. What does it literally mean? Perhaps this is helpful when we consider the question, who is this? It means Jehovah is salvation. But what did the angel say the meaning of that is when his name was given? It plainly teaches the salvation he came to bring. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from what? Their sins. That is the salvation. This is why Jesus was born into the world. Friend, are you confused? Are you confused about the kind of salvation Jesus has come to bring? Not to give you salvation from poverty. For what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? He came to redeem our lives from hell. He came to redeem our lives from our breach of God's law. That is what sin is. He came to release us from the just condemnation of the wrath of God for sinners. And that is what makes all of this so incredibly awe-inspiring. The King of glory to be crucified and lay down his own life for sinners, rebels, against his own holy law, so that the Father might pour out on his Son all of his wrath due to our sin, that the Holy Spirit might pour the blood of Jesus Christ on us to wash us of our sin. This is the salvation we need. All else is rubbish, dung, in comparison to this. You might ask, how can I have it? Not all have it. How can you have it? And you think, is there some great mountain I must climb? Is there some great work I must perform? The Lord says, 
It is simply by faith in Jesus. You take up Romans 10, verse 8, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, here are the words, thou shalt be saved. What a beautiful promise from the Lord. That's the salvation you and I need. And that is what is being offered in the gospel that is preached. Now, some come to church on a day like this merely to witness a baptism, a a sign of the washing away of our sins. But they come and they leave without faith. You cannot leave without seeing what the waters of baptism truly points to, which is the cleansing, the perfect cleansing of our sins by the work of Jesus Christ. Don't leave this place without being made right with God through Jesus. If you have never heard of it before, Salvation is a free gift from the king. Salvation is not of doing good works. It's not of our deeds before God. There's a place for that. But after salvation, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says plainly, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You think you're saved by your works, my friend. First of all, that's impossible. Second of all, you would have something to boast of before God. Why am I saved and not the other man? Because I have done great things for you, O God. That is wretched in the sight of the Lord. Absolutely wretched. That is self-righteousness. Salvation is a free gift given to those who would believe and call on the name of the Lord Jesus. This is why the Lord... You think of this. If salvation could be brought in through following and keeping of the law and doing good works. Why would the Lord come on a colt? And why would he go to a cross? He comes to give sinners who believe God's gift of salvation. You're called by the Lord to turn away from your sin and repent and believe the gospel. And the water of baptism you will see soon. It will be to you a picture of the washing work of Jesus Christ, whose blood cleanseth us from all our sin. What that water will signify is that whatever you have done, Jesus Christ can save you. Whatever you have done. It does not matter how great and how many your sins are. So many here, myself too, can testify of their sole hope that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from how many sins? All sin. To which we say hallelujah. There isn't a list here. These are so-called mortal sins that will damn you. He says from all sin, all sin. That's God's promise. And so he cries out to you all, come unto me if you are heavy laden and burdened with your sin, and I will give you rest. Praise God. Because if you tarry and you do not take him, on that last day he will be your judge and not your savior. His days, friends, of riding on the back of a colt are finished. When he returns, he returns as the king of glory and power and in splendor as the judge. 1 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9 says, When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are solemn words. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You know, I I don't have to scare anyone here. These are the words of God. And you have to take them as such. These are not the invention of the church. Everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. What solemn things. This is what our sin deserves. But if you believe, The very next verse says something wonderful. When he shall come, right, for one group, for everlasting destruction, but for the other, to be glorified in his saints and to be admired, to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. I plead with you. Believe on this Jesus and admire him. He is worthy of it. No one else can rid you of your sin. No one else can draw you close to God, least of all yourself or myself. Only Jesus can give you an eternity of blessedness. 
Believe on him and him alone and be saved forever. Believe this testimony, not on my word, but on the authority of God's holy word. These are the very words of God, which is why I read them to you. For you who do believe these things, praise the Lord for that. And you are called to praise the Lord and bless him. And we consider that next, which is the praise of the children. Verse 15 says, And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. Terrible thing. But you see here, boys and girls, the children, they could not contain themselves. They also were praising and blessing Jesus Christ. But the religious leaders, they hated that Jesus was receiving praise. Verse 16, they, they turned to Jesus and said unto him, Hearest thou what these, meaning the children, say? You know, in one sense, it was one thing entirely that the crowds, the adults, praised Christ. But when the children start to praise him, that's when they know they had lost the heart of the people. It is unlikely the children ever held the chief priests and scribes in any esteem at all. But here they are with relative, and I say relative, innocency and sincerity, praising Jesus Christ. And that is too much. And so the priests and scribes ask incredulously, hear us though what these say. How does Jesus respond? I think recently in several sermons, we have seen him ask this kind of thing to the enemies of God. He says, yea, have ye never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings or infants, thou hast perfected praise. He says, have you not read the scripture? How often does our Savior have to say it? Have you not read? He expects us, in other words, beloved. It is his expectation you would know what the Bible says. If you're not in this book and do not elevate his words above all others, you are liable to make the very same mistakes that the religious leaders, the religious men of Christ's day made. So out of the book, he cited the eighth psalm and its second verse, a text they should have known well because they were probably singing it all the time in the synagogue and in the temple. This text says that God has ordained his praise to come even from the children, not just children, but sucklings, that is, nursing infants. Some may wonder, sometimes, uh, it's strange because this has only happened in the last several decades, but some may wonder why we have infants and little children in our worship services. It's very simple, friends. It's very plain. The Lord has ordained that praise would come out of them. Children, even infants, are part of Christ's church. They are to worship God. Note that they praised him with the very same praises of the psalm that the adults did. They were there in the temple, weren't they, just as the adults were. Children must be part of the worship of God. The Lord has ordained it. In fact, we have this so backwards, right? We have it so backwards. Throughout the New Testament, he's always telling the adults, Make yourself like infants. Jesus tells you to be what? Born again in John 3, 7. To become as newborns. And in Matthew 18, 3 to 4, just a few chapters before, he said, And uh, verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as what? Little children. You shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, and maybe I'll just point to one over there, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Adults, your calling is to humble yourself as little children. That in your praises, you would be as little children. You think of the praise of little children. It's enthusiastic. It's unashamed. Think of it, the priests and the scribes at this time, right? They undoubtedly, they were glowering at these children. Why are you praising Jesus? Did it stop them? No. They sang the praises of Christ anyway. They don't care what these men thought. They don't think about their reputation, so-called, and guarding it. They belted out their praise, come what may. 
How often does one of our little children belt out the Psalms without thinking? All you can hear sometimes are, 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 is one child, right? It's a glorious thing. And it's that child thinking, what are they thinking about my singing? Is my praise too loud? Is it, is it too enthusiastic? What is the person next to me thinking of my, my, my voice? No, they sing to the Lord. That's how we as adults ought to be. Yet the religious leaders wanted to stop these children from praising him. They wanted Jesus, in fact, right? In fact, what they're essentially doing is they're telling Jesus, stop them, right? In that, we actually find, sad to say, elements in the church that seek to keep children from coming to Christ. I I went online this week, and I don't necessarily recommend you do this, uh, in search of contemporary views of um, children and worship services. One of the top search results came from an article whose title was Six Reasons Why Children Should Not Be in the Adult, quote-unquote, Worship Service. And that sad, sorry article did not cite one single solitary scripture. It was all pragmatism. It was all secular psychology. That's all it was. They even cited a celebrity atheist who said that church bored him as a child, and that is why he doesn't go to church today. But friends, when um, Christians cite atheists and not Scripture, all the Lord is asking is, have you not read? Because this text says something completely backwards from that, that sentiment. And so many of us will say, yes, we were in church as a young child, and here I am in the praises of God today. So anecdotes are just anecdotes. We believe the word of the living God. And uh, you must also understand that a church is really dead without children. It is on its way to expiration. So much of the old country, right, the, the few churches sometimes that are left in biblical, in Europe, in so many places where the Reformation burned so hot, all you have are gray hairs. And there's a generation that's about to die out, and the praises of God until the Lord brings revival is going to die out in several of these places. And now church buildings are turned into pubs because there are no children continuing to praise the Lord. And that's what we're in danger of here in the West because we have decided to excommunicate the children out of the church. They can go and they can make coloring books of uh, Noah's Ark 300 times in their life. And they've not once even understood the story of God's judgment there. And they leave the church because there is no gospel there. And they're not receiving the Savior. And so we think of how many scriptures like ours here. And the one in Matthew 19, 14. But Jesus said, suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. He says the kingdom is actually more beautifully pictured by the children and their relative innocency than it is of those of us who are older. And so we say, if the chief priests and scribes are displeased by the praises of the children, whose side would we be on if we are displeased with their praises? We would be on the side of the enemies of God and the enemies of Christ. Let us never do that. Let us choose rightly. And let us see that Jesus Christ is pleased when children praise him. He has ordained praise to come out of their mouths. Children, boys and girls, think how wonderful it is that the Lord smiles on your praise. And he has a care for your praise. The world thinks very little of you. But Jesus Christ thinks very much of you. And you must be praising him for that. Praise him then vigorously praise him cheerfully praise him with heart and mouth he has ordained not only the content of your praise but also the ones who will praise him and he intends you to join the adults in the praise of god some of you children at times i notice do not sing when it is time to sing singing praises to god see here is not only for the adults in case you've thought that this time but it is also for you to praise him yourself These three children were to be baptized and become members of this church, one of whom is a nursing infant, are to praise the Lord. And the Lord expects them to worship him, and he accepts their worship according to their ability. I think it is important to note that the Lord has ordained praise even from nursing infants. 
Think of the testimony of this. John the Baptist leaping in the womb at the presence of Christ. In their own way, even infants may praise the Lord. That's what the Scripture is teaching. Last week, I, I spoke to a minister at the church planners retreat who grew up in a Christian home. Like many covenant children, he did not remember the day of his conversion. But he has a true living faith. His sin, it wounds him. His Savior consoles him. And he's felt that way from a very early age. And he serves Christ today in the gospel ministry. But from infancy, this man has praised his Lord. Psalm 22, 9. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. That text is preeminently about Christ. But it was true of David. It was true of John the Baptist. And it was true of countless saints throughout history. When my friend and I were comparing notes of our Christian lives, we were both, I think, in some aspect, envious of the other. I was converted out of great darkness into Christ's marvelous light. And he said, sometimes I I almost wish I could have had that kind of conversion experience. But on the other hand, I said, I wish I did not spend three decades of my life apart from knowing Christ. I spent 30 years of my life in vanity, and sin, and did not know my precious Savior, who is everything to me now. And we both said, at the end, that the Lord's path for all his children is perfectly suited for each. We have a young lady today making her public profession of faith this morning, converted out of great darkness, as some of you get to know her, you will see that. We praise God for it. We marvel at his work, as our session did this morning. But covenant children, I will speak to you, Never be envious if you never had that kind of conversion experience, not if you believe on the Lord for your salvation. In some ways, and I'm sure our sister will tell you this, they're going to say, people like me and her are going to say, I wish I had your path. And not all the great difficulties that were in our our lives, even though we admit that what God has done for her and for me is best for us. All that said, boys and girls, praise the Lord from your earliest ages. The Lord expects it. Be bold. Be brash in the face of God's enemies in speaking of Christ. So much so, wouldn't this be a thing for your life, that the enemies of God would look down on you for it? That's what the praises of God are meant to be from the children. But woe to the man or woman who tries to silence one of Christ's little lambs from praising him. With that, let's conclude with the praise of the home as our final heading. I want you to think on this one question. How did the children in our text know how to praise the Lord? They learned from their parents and the other adults in this text, in the crowd. You'll notice that their words are identical to the praises of their parents in Psalm, from Psalm, um, verse, uh, in, in, in the Psalm, Psalm 118. In verse 9, the adults shout, Hosanna to the son of David. In verse 15, the children do the same. Hosanna to the son of David. It's almost like they're parroting, if I may use that word, and I mean that in the best possible sense. They're parroting the praise of their parents, aren't they? And what you have to see the, about this children, uh, and parents, really, I'll talk to you. Parents, children learn to worship Christ from their parents' example and from the church's example. You know, so many children apostatize because they have never observed the devotion of their parents. Neither from their parents nor from the church, I suppose, and adults there. They have never seen their parents humble themselves before the Lord as a little child themselves. They've never seen their parents bow down before Christ as their Lord and their salvation. They've never seen their parents' heart of adoration for Christ. What a thing, parents, it would be if your children have never seen you praise God. How will they learn? At an early age, you know, I think this is helpful for us to understand. A child views their parent as almost a godlike figure. What they must do is they must understand that you are not God, but God is God. And they must observe you humbling yourself before the true and living God. And they must see from your example that no man, no woman is supreme but God only. My parents, they must say, right, they bow down before the Lord. He is their God and he is my God and my praise too. You need to strike while they are young, fathers and mothers. 
Be as a little child before the Lord yourself. Sing the praises of the Lord in your own home. Let them see the love of Christ in you. They must never think it strange to praise Jesus Christ. And they're only going to learn that from you first and foremost, from your example. And not just praise, but all spiritual exercises are, if I may borrow the expression, better caught than taught. They will love to learn to love and read the word where? From your example. To know that you love the word of the living God. They will learn to depend on and pray to the Lord from your example. Dad lost his job, but I see him not worried, but trusting in the Lord to provide. So here is another penetrating question. Are you an example to your little ones? Would the Lord say you are an example to them? What does Proverbs twenty three twenty six say? My son, give me thine heart and what? Let thine eyes observe my ways. Is there something to observe in you of the Lord? Even if you're not a parent, if you are a believer here, you are called to be an example to the children of what it means to be a Christian. The Lord uses our examples to set the course of these children's lives. Many of you have a testimony like this. You remember a godly saint's example when you were little. Think of how impactful that was for you to see the love of Christ in them, their adoration of Jesus, their desire to live after the Lord, to love God and love neighbor. Sincerely, sacrificially, you saw in them love without hypocrisy. You saw them abhor that which is evil and a cleaving to that which is good. You saw in them kind affection and brotherly love and an honor preferring you a child even to themselves. Romans 12 teaches those things. All that said, Christ must be worshipped in your home. And with your children, what is the tenor of the Christian home in Deuteronomy 6? And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. So that's where it begins. It must be in your own heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. What folly it would be to have your child baptized and not do any of that. You know, today, when you think of this, this is the word of God permeating the whole house. But what permeates the house today? The smartphone, the tablet, the television, these are the teachers and babysitters of Israel. I see our little children not surrounded by the word, but by the world. Parents, it's very hard to wean them off, so never let it begin. I'll deal with that in our family series, so I'll leave it there. But let me ask, what are they imitating out of you? What are they observing out of you? Are they seeing you enraptured with Christ, saying, Hosanna to the Lord, or are you enraptured with the world? Teach them at an early age, not just family worship, but to engage in their own private devotions. From the time a child can read, they can read the Bible, and they can spend time with the Lord themselves. From the time a child can speak, they can pray to the Lord things agreeable to His will, no matter how simple they are. I thank you, Lord, for my mom and my dad and my church and those that I know, my friends. I thank you, Lord, for my daily bread. Would you continue to provide? Simple things like that. Young children can pray. Then bring them to corporate worship. Have them be participants. <sighs> children should not just be sitting there. They must be praising God and paying attention according to their capacity. Parents, be mindful of your children in worship. Make sure they are doing what they ought to be doing in worship, according again to their capacity. Uh, I mean this of children who can read and sing. A good thing to do with your children and don't neglect this. You need to turn the question of our text to them. You need to ask parents the question, who is this? You need to ask them, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus to you, my son and my daughter? Don't let them get away. Don't let them get out of your home without them having the right answer and believing on this Jesus. Make sure they close with Christ and receive him by faith.
It's not enough that they are baptized. They must receive Christ and lay hold of him for themselves, or else their baptism will just be a sign applied to them that will burn for an eternity in judgment. Friends, having the name of the triune God on them, but never coming to Christ. Who is this? Make sure they not only know the answer, but believe it. Finally, and, and, and I wish, and this is more, maybe more for tonight, and I wish I did not have to do this today, but I fear I must with all these abuse cases that have arisen and our child protection policy that we will look at tonight. If any of you ever entertain the thought of hurting one of these little ones here in any way, know that the Lord has a special place in hell for those who hurt children. Matthew 18, 5 through 6, And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. There's the blessing. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. The Lord gives this warning. And how I wish this warning was not necessary. But it is. Wolves enter Christian churches because Christians are on the whole a trusting, charitable people. And some of the stories of abuse of children are haunting. So if you ever think of hurting a child, repent of even the thought of it and turn to the Lord for mercy. Be converted and saved from his wrath to come. Well, as we are about to receive three children into the congregation and have them baptized, remember the Lord has ordained praise from them. Their praise pleases him. He loves it and we must love it too. The Lord Jesus welcomes these three children into the church with open arms and loves them. We would do well, adults, to be more like them in the simplicity of their praise, especially as we meditate on the object of our praise and know the answer to the question, who is this? To which we say with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless our meditation on his text. If able, please rise for prayer. Our Father and our God, how we are thankful you do not despise those who are lowly in this world, but instead have ordained your praise not to come ordinarily from the mighty and those who think they are something in this world, but even those that the world discards and casts away, even those little children and sinners like ourselves. O Father, we thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is so meek and lowly to give himself up for us. How we glory in that precious cross of Christ. God forbid that we should glory as a people, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto us and we to the world. O Father, he is our praise and he is our adoration. Call all these children here to yourself in the appointed time. We trust and depend on that promise and pledge. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated for a moment.